let's go ahead and open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We'll be looking at Matthew 5, verse 5 today. Good morning, my name is Kenson, and I serve as the pastor of our Bridgeport location. Today we continue in our new sermon series, looking at the Beatitudes, which is just Latin for blessing. It's in these Beatitudes we learn what it means to live in light of the kingdom of God. And this is so relevant for us because during this time of COVID-19, we have to ask ourselves, or we've already been asking ourselves, what are we living for? What is my hope going to be? It's in these teachings we see that as Christ followers, we, lead, we live with a new power and a new set of priorities that is made possible through the gospel. So with that, let's go ahead and jump in and let's read all the Beatitudes. So Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up to the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and other all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. My favorite kind of restaurants are what you would call a hole in a wall. Restaurants that on the outside look like a dump, but on the inside, the food is like manna from heaven. You know, one example, and I know that this is highly debatable, is Maxwell Street. I went to college at UIC back in the late 90s, and I remember one late night, my group of friends said, hey, let's go out to eat, let's go to Maxwell Street. I didn't know what it was, but my friends were singing its praises. It's cheap, it's greasy, it's delicious, it's fast. Did I say that it's cheap? So we get there, and I'm like, no way, no way. The whole place looked really sketchy. I'm pretty sure that it wasn't up to code, but my friends are like, you've got to try this, you've got to try this, get the pork chop sandwich, it's delicious. So I fall into the peer pressure, and OMG, it was amazing. I made the classic mistake of judging a book by its cover that I only saw it at the surface level and never bothered to look any deeper. You know, I share this with you because this experience describes a lot about who we are as a culture. That we're prone to stay on the surface level. We don't want to go deeper because we might be scared about what we might see. Today's verse is going to push on us because no one likes to mourn. In a culture that idolizes self-esteem, we can't bear the idea of not always feeling good about ourselves. So instead, we like to be distracted. We like to escape. We would rather pretend than admit weaknesses. During this COVID-19 crisis, many of us are wearing two kinds of masks. One mask is to protect us from the virus, and another one is to protect our ego. Some of us are spending all our energy just trying to fake it. It's all good. I'll be fine. I don't worry about the future. You know, I don't have any doubts. We are a mourning, avoiding culture because to mourn is to be weak. So we protect ourselves by staying on the surface level. And some of the worst examples of this are Christians. 
that we want to give this happy, clappy, lollipop image to the world, thinking that God is only honored when we're all put together, when in reality, God is honored when we lay all of our hearts before him and we cry out to him. That if we want to show that Jesus is strong, stronger than any virus, stronger than any hardship, we don't do it by avoiding the cross. We do it by running to the cross every day with our pains, hurts, and doubts. Could it be possible that by ignoring our mourning, we're actually delaying our healing? Jesus teaches today that a truly blessed life belongs to those who mourn. That it's in these moments when we feel so weak and vulnerable, God will do some of his best work in our lives. Because that's when God's grace becomes more real than ever before. And it's in that grace God seeks to heal us and bless us. So for our time here today, let's look at each phrase of this beatitude. So first, blessed are those who mourn. Now what kind of mourning is Jesus talking about? Uh, let me define it. Mourning is a sadness of sin in our lives and the effects of sin in our world. Let me say it one more time. Mourning is a sadness of sin in our lives and the effects of sin in our world. Now, it's important to note that Jesus is not saying, blessed are those who mourn in general or those who mourn just because life is hard. Not all mourning is blessed. In fact, some mourning is wrong and sinful. For, for example, some of us are sorrowful over our idols, those things that we've put in the place of where God should be, our careers, our reputation, our ego, our money, our comfort. So when we see those things go away during this crisis, we get really sad. God does not mourn over those things, neither should we, because those were the very things that were keeping us from God. That's a wrong kind of mourning. The mourning Jesus is talking about here goes much deeper. It's a mourning that is spiritual in nature. Just like in verse 3 when it says, poor in spirit, the mourning Jesus is talking about is a deep concern over our personal sin and its effects in the world. So first, we mourn over our personal sin. Now, there's an intimate connection between the second and first beatitude. Then the first one is being poor in spirit. That these are people who understand that I'm a spiritual beggar in need of grace. I bring nothing to salvation except for the sin that put Jesus on the cross. Those who are spiritually bankrupt understand this. And the way this is connected to the second beatitude is that Jesus is now asking, do you feel it? Great, you know it in your head, but do you know it in your heart? Again, Jesus pushes deeper here. That spiritual mourning is more than just intellectual affirmation. It's more than just giving the right biblical answers about sin. But has that truth gotten deep into your heart? For some of us, we don't grieve over our sin. You know, one reason is because we just don't think that we're all that bad that we mourn the sin of others and we're disgusted by it. But for ourselves personally, you know, not so much. You know, in Luke 18, there's a story of a religious leader and a tax collector. The religious leader goes into the temple and he is declaring his own praises before God. Look at how righteous I am. Look at all the things that I'm doing. Look, I'm not like these other sinners, like this tax collector here. 
And then you have this tax collector who is far off at the edge of the temple who can't even look up to God, who is so grieved over his sin, crying out to God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. Jesus says that this tax collector and not this religious leader is the one justified before God. This is what keeps us from mourning. It's our self-righteousness. We see ourselves as strong and capable and thus too good for God's grace. The only thing worse than sin is the denial of sin, which makes forgiveness impossible. The saddest thing is not a mournful heart. It's a heart incapable of grief over sin because that is a life that will not receive the comfort and grace God provides. Another reason we don't grieve is because we have become products of our culture. That instead of mourning over sin, we're laughing at it, we're celebrating it, we're indulging in it, and over time we have developed a spiritual callus over our hearts. We have become desensitized to sin. Just like if you're learning to play a stringed instrument, at first when you play it, it hurts a lot. But over time, after lots and lots of repetition, your fingers begin to develop a thick callus. In the same way, we have allowed habitual sin to make our hearts hard towards God. Frankly, we don't mourn sin because we don't value God. For example, if someone passes away and you don't grieve their death, it just shows that they were not that important to you. God, who is righteous and holy, the true and only God, and he is to be valued over all the universe, and to sin is to turn our back on him and all that he has done for us, when we fail to mourn that sin, we are saying we do not value him as God. And thus, sin is no big deal. Friends, sin is not trivial. It's treason that deserves death. There is no such thing as committing a small sin because we do not offend a small God. To mourn over sin means that we stop rationalizing it, we stop glossing over it, we weep over the devastation sin has caused in our lives and the hurt that it has done to the lives around us. And it's when we weep over our sins, we will also naturally weep over the effects of sin in our world. We will grieve like Jesus did. In John chapter 11, during his public ministry, his friend Lazarus dies. He shows up to the tomb where he's buried, and Jesus just weeps. Why? It can't be because his friend is dead, because we read later on that Jesus is going to bring him back to life, and Jesus knows that he's going to do just that. So he doesn't cry over the fact that he'll never see his friend again. Jesus weeps because when he sees the tomb, he knows that this was never what God intended that it's all a consequence of sin, all the death, all the sickness, all the illness, all the virus, all the suffering and evil in our city and in our world is because of sin. During this time of COVID-19, it is okay to mourn. It is okay to mourn over all the brokenness, pain, and poverty that we're seeing. It's okay to weep over how this pandemic is devastating the most vulnerable and tearing apart our most under-resourced neighborhoods. It's okay to mourn because something is terribly wrong. 
To grieve is an expression of injustice. It's recognizing that what is happening right now is not right and it's not what God intended. To mourn over sin and the effects of sin is when we finally see and understand sin the way God does. We have a story in 2 Samuel of how King David is confronted by the prophet Nathan. That David has now been exposed for his rape of Bathsheba and the murder of her husband Uriah. And it's in Psalm 51, David writes his prayer to God. Let me just read one of the verses here. Psalm 51.4. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Now notice, David says that it's only against you, God, that I sinned. Now, that's not 100% true. He sinned, he sinned against Uriah, he sinned against Bathsheba, and countless other people to hide this secret. But David recognizes that any wrong that he's committed to others is first and foremost because he wronged God. There is no excuse, no damage control. He humbles himself completely before God. He says that, I, that, that, I, that, I, that you may be justified in your words, blameless in your judgment towards him. This is the kind of mourning Jesus is talking about in this beatitude. It's a heartbrokenness over sin because we know that it has offended our God. Friends, sin grieves the heart of God. The question for you is if it grieves your heart. This leads us to the second half of the beatitude. Those who mourn over sin and the effects of sin will be comforted. As Christ followers, we do not mourn without hope. As we've seen, there is a time to weep and mourn and to consider the gravity of sin. But the good news is that Jesus does not leave us to sit there. He offers us grace and mercy. That in Christ, every time we confess with our hearts and minds, it says in 1 John 1.9, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our iniquities. This is the difference between what the devil is trying to do and what the Holy Spirit does in our grief. That the devil will want you to despair. He wants you to feel defeated in sin. The Spirit of God will always lead you to hope because a godly sorrow will always turn our hearts towards God. This is why the Apostle Paul can say in 2 Corinthians 6.10, sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Because it's in his mourning, it is filled with hope. So true Christians mourn deeply over their sins, but it never ends there. This is why the Puritan Thomas Watson said, Till sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. We'll never know the comfort of God until we know the depth of our sin and our rebellion against God, that, that the world grieving sin is, is regressive and constricting. But for the Christian, when we grieve our sin, we know that that's the very pathway to joy and wholeness. It's also when we mourn, we become children again. We're brought, we're brought to a place of dependence. And it's in that dependence we receive the greatest of all comforts, God himself. And this is actually the central blessing of all these beatitudes. That if you notice, all the blessings are pretty much the same. 
The poor in spirit will have the kingdom of heaven. The pure in heart will see God. Peacemakers will be sons of God. The persecuted will have the kingdom. They are not different blessings. They are different aspects of the same blessing. To those who belong to the kingdom, they will have God. And this is the great hope that we have. It's not that the hurting will stop in this earthly life. God never promises that. Instead, he promises that there will be a future day when suffering and weeping will be no more. A future day when we will see God face to face. That is our hope. And all of this is possible because of Jesus Christ. Hundreds of years before Jesus came on earth, the prophet Isaiah talked about the coming Messiah, and he described him as a suffering servant, as a man of sorrows. Isaiah chapter 61 Verses 1 to 3. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. It's in Christ we have the God who comforts. Because our Savior did not distance himself from our grief and loss, he suffered it and suffered it completely on the cross, that he experienced it to the deepest of levels so that you would know that in your pain and struggles and mourning and sorrow, he is there with you and he understands. This is the mission of our Redeemer. It is to comfort those who mourn. And he did this by bearing our sins and carrying our sorrows. But Jesus does more than just comfort us in, our, in the sorrow of our sin. Our ultimate comfort comes because he also conquered sin. So now those who are in Christ can say, I have been forgiven. I am washed. I am justified. I am loved and restored. The very same gospel that exposes our sin and breaks our heart is the very same gospel that will mend those broken hearts. During this COVID-19 crisis, with the devastation, death, and illness all around us, our God is not distant from our grief. He is deeply moved by it. So much so that he sent Jesus to one day bring an end to it completely. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. We don't need to be afraid to mourn. We no longer need to fear being exposed. We don't need to present an airbrushed version of ourselves. We don't need to fear to go into the deep end of confronting our sin, because at the bottom, we will always find God's mercy. When we repent of our sins, Jesus meets us with comfort and not condemnation. That is worth saying amen at home. I have four boys, and they're always testing the limits of what they can and can't do. And one time, one of my boys did something pretty bad, and I stopped to discipline him and to explain to him why what he did was so bad. And as I was talking to him, I can start to see that the wheels were turning in his head, and he was beginning to understand what he was doing and why it was so bad, and he begins to cry. Now, as a parent, I'm hurt that he disobeyed me. But as my son is there grieving 
over the wrong that he committed, I have two choices. Do I let him sit there in his tears? Or do I pick him up, give him the biggest bear hug, and tell him I forgive him and love him? I will always choose the second option all day, every day. In the same way, when we mourn and cry out to God, it's in the person of Jesus Christ, God too reaches out his arms and hugs us and tells us that we are forgiven and he loves us. Blessed are those who mourn. So what's some application here to this beatitude? Let me give you two. First, pursue mourning. Okay, pursue it. Now, the word mourn in the Greek here is in the present participle active, which means that it's an ongoing action, an ongoing pursuit. It's not a one-and-done type of thing, just like not how you're merciful just one time and you're done, or just one time you're pure and that you're done. This is a characteristic of who you are. Now, here's the question. How do you do this? It's not as though it's like an on and off switch. It's not as though I can just kind of turn on my feelings. It doesn't work that way. So we can't make our hearts sensitive and concerned for sin, but there are steps that we can take to soften it. First is by being in the Word. One of the reasons we don't mourn over sin is because we have a weak theology of who our God is, and thus a very weak understanding of the cross and its costly sacrifice. Our lack of grief in our sin is connected to our ignorance of the gospel. Secondly, we need to confess radically and actively. You know, all of us are good at sharing our safe sins. You know, those sins that really don't cost us anything— if you want to feel sorrowful for sin, share the ones that break down your reputation. Share the sins that make you scared to share because they actually have real consequences when they are exposed and they are known. If you want to push past the surface level spirituality, you have to be willing to become more transparent. You have to stop pretending and protecting yourself. That just like Adam and Eve, when they were caught in their sin, their first reaction was not to repent. It was to hide. It was to blame. It was to self-justify. We have to resist that temptation with our sin. Finally, don't waste circumstances. One of the things we've said a lot about COVID-19 is that this is how God is using, God, God is using this right now to expose our hearts that it's in these uncontrollable circumstances and hardships, God is bringing to the surface a lot of heart issues. Don't waste this opportunity. Stop distracting yourself with Netflix or social media or the news feeds. Slow down and consider all that God is seeking to unpack. Ask yourself, why do I feel the way that I do? The anxiety, the fear, the apathy, where is this coming from? God is using COVID-19 to make us deeper and more authentic Christ followers. Don't waste it. You know, this is why on Wednesday, the Bridgeport and South Loop location spent the day together fasting for this very purpose, that we purposely denied ourselves from food or something significant so that we can pursue repentance, that as we suffered through our discomfort and hunger, it was to remind us of our hunger for him and how that was most important. So once again, we can't force ourselves to grieve over sin. Only the Spirit can do that kind of work. But we can put ourselves in better position to receive the Spirit's work. Here's the second application. 
comfort others as you have been comforted. You know, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. The blessing of comfort that God gives never stops at us. It is to overflow to others. As Christ followers, we should be the greatest comforters in the world. We comfort with the good news of Jesus. We comfort through our generosity and acts of service. We comfort others by helping to carry their emotional burdens and heartaches. You know, since the beginning of the COVID-19 crisis, there's been a lot of finger pointing on who's to blame. And a lot of that has been targeted towards Asians. You know, before businesses were closed across the country, Chinese businesses, Chinatown neighborhoods were already being devastated because people assumed that since the virus came from Wuhan, China, that all Asians were carriers of the virus. And not too long ago, you know, as COVID-19, you know, was, was, was being exposed and everyone was struggling with it, that people started calling it the Chinese virus. You know, for these last two months, this has been really hard for me to process as an Asian American. That again, that I'm reminded that I'm an outsider, even though this country is my home. It made me fearful because it wasn't as though my the target on my back wasn't already big enough, but now it's only gotten even bigger. That a lot of my Asian friends are sharing stories of people telling them to go back home and just hearing lots of words of hate and racism and stories of violence. I worry for my wife and kids and what others might say to them or do to them. That when I take walks with my family, I'm not only just concerned about catching the virus, but I'm also concerned to potentially what others might say and do to them. And I'm, I'm sad to say this, but I'm sort of glad my son doesn't have to go to school because I'm terrified about what he might have to deal with. This whole thing has made me sad, angry, and fearful. You know, recently a statement came out from an, a group of Asian American Christians from all across the country denouncing racism during this time of crisis. And people were invited to sign the statement to support it. And a couple of my fellow pastors who were not Asian reached out to me and said, Kenson, I want to let you know that I signed this statement. And one of them said this to me, Kenson, I want to let you know that when I signed it, I signed it thinking about you, thinking about your wife and thinking about your kids. I love you guys. It's in that moment I didn't feel alone. I felt known and heard. I was comforted in my grief, and I knew that it was from God. And this story is not just for Asian Americans, but this is a grief that goes out to our African Americans and Latinos and Native Americans all across our country who are being devastated by this virus. We must mourn with them. This is why as a church, we've partnered with ministries like Renew Chicago and Chicago Delivers, a joint effort between churches to provide care to the west and south side of our city, to the most vulnerable groups, because God has called us to be comforters during this time of sorrow. So church, let me just ask you, do you mourn over your sin and the effects of sin? Mourning is not pretty, and it's always tempting to stay on the surface level, but let me remind you again that it's in our grief, our God 
comes close. It's in our mourning we receive the comfort and grace only God can provide. That is a blessed life. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, forgive us for so often how we want to stay on the surface level because it keeps us safe, our reputation safe. It keeps us in this delusion that we're still in control, that we're still strong. Father, we repent of that. We mourn of that. Lord, help us to get to a place where our hearts just weep and cry over this sin so that, Father, that it's in our weeping and repentance we will experience the comfort of your forgiveness, the comfort of your promises, the comfort of your word, the comfort that comes from your people, the comfort that comes from the Holy Spirit, a comfort that comes from your power, that, God, it's in our mourning, and when we bring it to you, do we experience the sweetness of your grace. That as it says in the Psalms, the sacrifices of God are not a broken spirit, a broken and contrite spirit, O oh God, you will not despise. So Father, today, this morning, wherever we're at, God, we lay our broken and contrite hearts to you. Father, we love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Friends, it's been good spending this morning with you. As you all head off this week and continue to give God glory, let me give you a blessing. Now to him who could do more than we can ever ask or imagine. To him be the glory in our city, in our world, in our church, and in, in Christ Jesus for all generations. And all God's people said, amen. You're loved. Have a great day.